0: Please open your Bibles with me this morning to the 7th chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7. I had prepared several things in the weeks leading up to this week and several things this week to preach to you, and my plans were changed last evening. I have a word from the Lord for us. At about 7.15, we have just studied in nine sermons, 28 pages, single spaced, that are available at our website, on the subject of God's Word, why I believe the Bible. It could be entitled, Why I Am a Christian, Why Christianity is God's Only Religion, but it was all based in the Bible, Why I Believe the Bible, and we have considered how that the Bible can show itself to be God's Word, and we're thankful for it. There are other holy books being bandied about and quoted in, a, in the current situation in our nation, but there is only one true holy book, and it's Amen. the Holy Bible. Right. It isn't the Holy Koran because there's nothing holy about it, right. unless you're going to color it with a crayon. <laughs> we trust the Holy Bible only. It right. is the only holy book. We don't look to the Book of Mormon. We don't look to the doctrines and covenants of the Mormon church, the Hindu Vedas, or any other writings of men in a religious way. We look only to the Bible. And so I did preach to you a series of messages, unlike really most of what I preach. But that's over. And as I told you last Sunday, that was a spiritual vacation. We have to have a foundation because the Bible tells us to have that foundation. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Well, we did enough proving. Now we need to do some reading. We need to look into that Bible that we believe to be the very Word of God and not the Word of men and see what it has to say to us. And so I want to use Jeremiah chapter 7 this morning. The Lord wants me to use Jeremiah chapter 7. Our nation is facing adversity, and they're facing it without any repentance. So we're a nation at risk. And I want to show you how the Lord would address us if He were here. And He is here by His servant and your servant. And I hope that you will heed and hear my words as if they were coming from the Lord himself. They're not. They're not. They're coming from a sinful mouthpiece for him. But this is the way he's chosen (laughs) to reveal his word to men in this world. Our nation, as I've mentioned already this morning when we read together Psalm 136, chooses to sing God bless America. They sing that because they think that God has an obligation to bless America. That in some way, America is a Christian nation. In some way, because there's churches in so many places that that name the name of Christ, that therefore God is obligated to defend our nation, to protect our nation, to preserve us, and to assist us. And there is no such presumption taught in the Word of God. They have not made God their Lord. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But there is no God in this nation except the God of covetousness and the God of pleasure. I want to address our nation from Jeremiah 7, then I want to address our church from Jeremiah 7, and then your families and then your own souls and see what God would have to say to you. Our goal as a church is simple. We want to be the best church in the earth. If there's another church that wants to emulate us or outdo us, we'll be thankful to God that there's another such church. But we want to be a church not for our own honor and glory. God forbid. We fail if that ever creeps in at all. We want to be the best church on planet Earth in the sense that God is more pleased with us because we love Him more and we serve Him more faithfully and we thank Him more graciously than any other church. I hope that our goal as families is to have the Lord God dwell among our families and to go with our families and to preserve and to keep them and to bless them with His spiritual presence and His spiritual blessings. I hope that we want to create family heritages in this earth until the Lord returns that are based on righteousness and true holiness. I hope that your goal as saints is to walk with God as did Enoch. Amen. I hope that you have a goal for your personal soul to be close to the Lord and to grow in favor with God and men and to walk with God as Enoch did. And he was not, for God took him. He had this testimony that he pleased God. Jeremiah is a prophet toward the end of the history of Judah. Remember, the nation of Israel was divided into two sections, ten tribes called Israel and two tribes called Judah. The ten tribes have already been taken captive by the Assyrians and scattered. The ten tribes are destroyed and are no more. Judah and Benjamin are left. And Jeremiah was a prophet sent to them right before the end, right before Nebuchadnezzar would come and haul them away captive into Babylon and destroy the city of Jerusalem and raise that, be- raise, R A Z E, destroy, destroy that temple that Solomon had built in the city of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar was on his way. Jeremiah was a prophet sent to tell the people that he was coming, that judgment was about to fall on them, and what they ought to do if there was any among them that wanted to repent. And so we have Jeremiah chapter 7. We come to the first verse. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And brethren, that same word has come to your pastor from the Lord. I I didn't plan this. This is not my way of doing things. You do not know how much this is not my way of doing things. But the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, and if there's a word from the Lord, it's the word I want to give you, not my word. Not my planned word, even if it's in the Bible. I want to give you the word from the Lord. He told Jeremiah in verse 2, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord all ye of Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Jeremiah was told to go stand in the house of the Lord. So I first of all want to point out to you from this second verse that this is a message addressed not to the Philistines, not to the Egyptians, but to the Israelites, to those of Judah, the Lord's people. This is a message to Christians. This is a message to those that name the name of God, and his son Jesus Christ, and are following him. This is for us. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. And so I stand here before you in the Lord's house. And I have a message for you from the Lord. I want you to notice that it says that they, that he was addressing, entered in at those gates to worship the Lord. They came to worship the Lord. And what I want to attack this morning is a false, hypocritical, Weak, lying, presumptuous, carnal brand of Christianity that infects our nation. There are so many that claim to be Christians in our nation, and yet they're holding to a carnal brand of Christianity unknown in the Bible, except in those places where it's condemned. And, brethren, it is so easy for us to be guilty of the same, to sit here in the Lord's house and to come here to worship Him but to go out and to have our ways and our doings not matching up with His Word. We have preached and thumped and yelled and been very passionate about His Word. But the true passion and devotion to the Word of God comes in the obedience out of our lives, not in how high I can hold it, not in how loud I can teach it, nor in how many pages we can produce about it. Are we going to obey it? Right. This message was delivered to those that came to the house of the Lord. So we're not even dealing with those Christians who no longer attend the house of God, but those who come, those who are making a show of religion. Amen. And so they're the ones being addressed by the word of the Lord. And it was to be proclaimed. That didn't mean that Jeremiah was to sit down and have a discussion with those that were coming. There was a word from the Lord that was to be blasted away at them. He was to lift up the trumpet of God and to tell Judah about their sins. And so we come to the third verse. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. All preaching should sound like this. All preaching should be, thus saith the Lord. You don't want to know what Jonathan Crosby thinks. I'm glad that you can't know. You want to know what the Lord has for you. And so all proper preaching, Bible preaching, is based on thus saith the Lord. And the message of God to them was amend your ways and your doings. Your ways, your ways are the paths and habits and traditions and trends that you find your life in your, and at this, this point is not major this is, this is a minor point but the Lord gave us your ways and your doings and I want to point out that the ways are the, the ruts that we get into the patterns that we get into the habits the traditions in our lives and the doings are the actual specific events in those ways and he wants us to change both change the actual doing of, the, of things and change the way that perpetuates those things by getting us into habits of evil. We are creatures of habit. Once we allow sin to enter our lives, the next sin of that same sort is easier than the first one. And the third one's easier than the second one. And pretty soon we find our way corrupted before the Lord so that we're continuing in a path of sin. And the Lord says, amend your ways and your doings. This is the word of the Lord. And I will cause you to dwell in this place. To amend something is to change it, to correct it, to reform it, to convert it. That's what it means to amend. So you're to take your ways and to change them. You're to take your doings and reform them. You're to change the way that you're doing things. Everyone in here is responsible to change. We are still living in bodies of flesh. We have depraved and deceitful hearts. We always default to wickedness. And so we must constantly be in a process of remember from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works. That is our perpetual calling while we're here. That is true love is to always be remembering from whence you are fallen to repent and to do the first works all over again. And I'm dealing, I'm using that only as it pertains to the Lord at this moment. This is our calling, to amend our ways and our doings. And God promises he will bless us. Brethren, the message that we are dealing with this morning is what the Apostle Paul warned Timothy about in 2 Timothy 3, 5, when he said they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. That warning in 2 Timothy chapter 3 was not addressed to the pagan Romans. It was not addressed to unbelieving Americans. It's addressed to Christians. Right. 2 Timothy 3 is addressed to Christians. It's specifically addressed to Timothy. And the false Christianity that would rise in the last days, which Paul called perilous times, when men would be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, just as these people, notice where they were on the Lord's day, They were in the Lord's house. And what did they come to do? To worship. But what does God have to say to them? Thank you for coming to my house? No. He wishes they weren't in his house, as you'll soon see. He tells them to amend their ways. What ways can you amend? What thoughts are in your life that you should amend? What speech? What ways of speech? You know, we get into habits of speech, don't we? That we need to amend. What do we need to change, correct, and reform to make it pleasing to God? If we do so, he will dwell with us. Brethren, the nature of our religion is action. We can yell all we want to the last nine Sundays about the word of God and its beauty and its glory and its sublimity and its science and its history and its salvation and its fruit and its witnesses. And we can go on and on, but that is not where we can let it rest. We must take the word of God and order our lives according to it. We must amend our ways. The Bible is filled with a religion of action. Deuteronomy 29 and 29. Listen to these words. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong unto us and to our children, that we may do all the words of this law. Amen. Christianity. Biblical Christianity, which I laid the foundation for in the last nine sermons, is action. It's doing something, not just living and showing up here on Sundays. That isn't even close to being a Bible Christian. It's not even close. Deuteronomy 29, 29. How about John 14, 15? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll sing, Jesus, I love thee. No. If you love me, Keep my commandments, Amen. John 14, 15. Second Peter 1, 10. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. 1 John 2, 4. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. The truth is not in him. Amen. James 1, 22. But let us be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen. James 2:19. Thou believest that there is one God? Good job. Thou doest well. The devil's also believe and tremble. We're justified by works according to James chapter 2 verses 14 through 24. Bible Christianity is a religion of constantly assessing our lives in the light of the Bible and conforming them so that they look like the life of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's biblical Christianity. Right. It's that simple. It's nothing more and nothing less. Always changing our lives and forcing them to the, to the model that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that model laid out for us in clear language in the Bible. Amen. What do you do that is not pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ? That should be addressed this morning. While I'm preaching, you should say, I am through doing that. As soon as this service is over, I'm going to take care of that matter. Right. Amend your ways and your doings. He says, I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do you remember what I preached to you about two months ago? 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore... These promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Do you remember how we went back and looked in chapter 6 and saw those wonderful promises? I will be to you a God. You'll be to me a people. I'll be your father. You'll be my children. I'll receive you. Remember all those promises? They were dependent upon us cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. What filthiness is in your flesh? What filthiness is in your spirit? It needs to be cleansed out. Amend your ways and your doings. And I will cause you to dwell in this place. God will come and dwell among us as a church. He'll come and dwell among us as families. He'll come and dwell among us as a nation. If the nation were to take heed to this word, but there is no sign of that happening. So will we do it within this nation? Will we amend our ways and our doings? Verse 4. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Do not trust in lying words. They were trusting in lying words. They were confident in their wicked ways and in their wicked doings. They were confident. They were sure that God Was still pleased with them. They were sure that God would still bless them no matter how they lived. The nature of deception, the most horrible thing that can happen to you is to be deceived. It means to believe a lie and not know it. My purpose as your pastor is to save you from believing a lie. You have someone who gives his whole life except for necessary things to try to save you from lies. I'm no hero, God is most merciful for his mercy endureth forever. And so I'm coming to you this morning to save you from a lie, and it's a lie that they had in Judah, even though they had witnessed Israel being taken captive, and though Nebuchadnezzar was coming, they were believing a lie, and I want to save you from that lie. All actions, all actions imply your faith. Right. Just stop and think about that. Every one of your actions... Every one of your choices shows your faith. When you sin, you are showing God he sees it all. That's here too. He sees it all. But when you sin, you are showing God and all others that your faith is you can get away with it. Your faith is God doesn't see it. Or your faith is God doesn't care. Or your faith is God won't judge me. Or your faith is there's no real consequences for this small sin. I want to tell you that there's consequences for every sin and you are going to pay. There's consequences for every sin and I am going to pay if we persist in sinning. Amend your ways and your doings and don't trust in lying words. Every time you sin, you are showing that you don't care. And you're showing that that lack of care in your life is based on some faith. And your faith is, I'm not going to get in trouble for this. That's why I'm going to be foolishly stubborn and rebellious. I'm not going to get in trouble. I don't care. I won't humble myself. I won't repent. I won't change. I'm not ready to change. All of those are statements of believing a lie. All of those are statements about believing a lie That God doesn't care, God doesn't judge, and you can get away with sin. Brethren, you cannot get away with sin. These people thought they could get away with sin because they had the temple of the Lord. It would be easy for us to think that we could get away with sin because we have the word of the Lord. That's why you're getting this message this morning. Nine sermons on the word of the Lord. But having the word of the Lord in your lap does you no good. There is no residual value of having those black covers. And those red pages in black print, or red red or gold, there's no value in it. The value in the Word of God is whether we're going to obey it or not. Your life right now reflects either a lie or truth. If you're sinning and there is a known area in your life that you are not living in perfect agreement with God's Holy Word, then you are living a lie. And that lie, I don't know what it is. God doesn't see. God doesn't care. God won't judge. There's no consequences for this kind of sin. It's a lie. And you're trusting in lying words. We love the word trust. You know, we we want our children to trust us. God wants us to trust Him. But sometimes we trust in lies that we can go ahead and live any way we want and survive. That is trusting in lying words. These people trusted in the fact that they had the temple of the Lord. You know, they called it the temple of the Lord. Was it the temple of the Lord? Indeed, Solomon built this temple. Remember, God came down and filled it with his presence. The dedication of this temple was most glorious. You can read about it in 2 Kings. It was beautiful. They had the temple of the Lord. It was God's priests in there, God's altar, God's ordinances. It was the worship of God. They had the true temple. We have the true word of God. But that temple provided no residual benefit for them, nor does the word of God provide any residual benefit for us unless we are going to humble ourselves before it and say, Lord, show me where I am not living up to this word and let me amend my ways and my doings and obey you perfectly. That is a Christian's life. We should be doing that every day. And the message to us today is not to trust in the lying words because we have God's word, because we have the truth. We know. We know certain things that God has shown us that we preach and believe in this church are not preached and believed in other churches in Greenville. We don't say that arrogantly. We say that, for his mercy endureth forever. It is all by the grace of God. But that truth does not do us any good if we're not going to obey James would say, the devils believe and tremble. And he would mock anyone that that says, I believe, as having any value. Belief is not enough. It's amending our ways and our doings. Look at verse 4. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. These, being a plural pronoun, is referring to the several buildings, the court, the temple, and the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies of the temple of the Jews. That's why you have that plural pronoun there. I want you to hold your fingers there at Jeremiah 7 and come over. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. It's right in front of Nahum. Micah, chapter 3. I want to read you a verse there. This was a perpetual problem. When when God blesses His people with the truth, when God blesses His people with His temple, when God blesses His people with His ordinances, there is a temptation for the human heart to find its comfort and its safety and its lying words, its assumption, in those things. When there isn't any value in the things, the value is in God walking with us and defending us. And He walks with and defends those who are obeying Him. No good thing will he withhold, Psalm eighty four eleven. what's the rest of that? From them that walk uprightly. Amen. You cannot presume just because you have the ordinances of God or the church of God or the truth of God or the word of God, which I have exalted to you. But now I must show you where the true value is if we're going to open those pages and find out how it tells us to love our spouse and do it. Right. How it tells us as women to be submissive and reverence our husbands and do it. Where it tells fathers to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and we'll do it. Where it tells us that the thought of foolishness is sin and we'll do it. Where it tells us men that to look on a woman and to lust after her we have committed adultery already with her in our hearts and to do that. I mean not to do it in that particular verse. We will open the word of God and find out what it addresses and we will obey it. Look at Micah chapter 3 and verse 11. Here's the same attitude shown by The recovered Israelites, no, not by the recovered Israelites, that'd be Malachi. Micah chapter 3, it's the same spirit right now addressed by another prophet. Look at the condition in the first half of the verse and their lying trust in the second half. The heads thereof judge for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire and the prophets thereof divine for money. It's showing that all their rulers are doing it just for monetary gain, financial gain. Yet, will, yet, in spite of that, in spite of that wickedness on the part of their leaders, yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. There it is. Trusting in lying words. We've got the church. We've got the truth. We've got the word of God. Why, we've even got the King James Version. No matter how we live, the Lord's among us. None evil is going to happen. I want you to see their evil trust in lying words. Come back to Jeremiah and look at chapter 4. This was a common problem with Israel because God had given them so much. As the Bible says in Deuteronomy, they waxed fat. With God's blessing, they presume upon it. Do you remember the wise man in, in Proverbs 30 where he says, Don't make me rich? Oh, there's wisdom in that. There's wisdom in that Wherever. When everything you touch turns to gold, guess who you forget first? God. God. And the wise man said, Don't make me rich. Don't let everything I touch turn to gold. Don't bless everything of my hands. Give me meat and food convenient for me. Don't make me poor. Don't make me rich. Because when God blesses with His presence, His house, His truth, His word, His temple, His priests, His sacrifices, we tend to put our trust in them and think that we can get away with living a leisure life. One that is not dedicated to examining ourselves and asking God to search us and amending our ways to please Him. Right. Jeremiah 4, 14, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? It's a problem Israel and Judah had. It's a problem that we can easily have. It is our folly and our vanity if we trust in the Bible. Yes, we have the Bible. Yes, it's the Word of God. Yes, He may have shown us more about it than most everyone else. So, what are we doing with what He's shown us? That's what counts. This is your message from the Lord. Do not trust in lying words. Come down to verse 5. For if ye truly amend your ways and your doings. If ye truly amend. Now, throughly is a word used in our King James Bible, which is equivalent and equal to thoroughly. Something is, you do something throughly when you do it fully, completely, or perfectly. It just means thoroughly. Notice here that the Lord is very specific. If ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings. If ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor. In the fifth verse. Now, we've had it stated already in the third verse. Amend your ways and your doings, I'll dwell among you. And I'll cause you to dwell in this place. Verse 5, we have it all over again, except he's modifying that word amend because he wants us to be thorough about it. He wants us to go through our lives, our families, our church, and thoroughly cleanse it, conform it, reform it, convert it, correct it, change it, so that what we're doing in our lives is right. I can't give you a list of all the things this morning that you know that you ought to be doing. I don't believe that's the problem. I believe the problem is we trust in lying words. I believe we get confident because we have the Word of God. I believe our nation is confident because they've got two goofy little words in our pledge to the flag called under God. Now, the words are not goofy in themselves, but they're goofy when you can quote quote them, recite them, and think that they're going to preserve the nation. Right. It's the same with the words of God bless America. The words are wonderful. God bless America. But if it was a prayer of repentance, it would mean one thing. But when it's sung, while there is no change in our lives, it is li- they are lying words. Right. They're lying words. To, you, to look at our money, where it says in God we trust, they're lying words. Because there is no trust in God. The trust is, it doesn't really matter how we live. I can get away with it. The trust is, I can be stubborn and rebellious for a while and get away with it. The trust is God doesn't see. The trust is God doesn't care about this one. I've said these things already, but I'm asking you to look in your hearts. What lies are you trusting in? Those parts of your life that are the hardest to give up for God, what lies are keeping you in them? We're to thoroughly amend our ways, and our doings. The Lord wants us to notice that he's, he's going to apply an adverb to that w- verb amend, that he wants it done finally, completely, perfectly, totally. He wants us to thoroughly amend what we're doing. He wants us to thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor. I like this. A man and his neighbor. Who is your neighbor? It's everyone that you find a, the, the greatest difficulty treating the way God wants you to treat. Right. Your neighbor is the one that you have the most difficulty treating properly. When Jesus was once asked, who is my neighbor? That's where we got the story of the good Samaritan. So that that Jewish ruler could be told about a Samaritan that treated a Jew well, very well, because the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. And so I ask you this morning, you know, who is your neighbor? Who are you having the most difficulty with? Another church member, your spouse, your children, your parents, your employees, your boss? Who is your neighbor? The Lord says that we need to thoroughly or thoroughly exact judgment. Exact judgment does not mean to punish them. It does not mean to go chasing them. Judgment in this text is doing what is right. You know, when we say, you know, that was good judgment on your part. That means you made a good choice. You did what was right. That's the way the word's being used here. It doesn't mean to go beat up all your neighbors. Exacting judgment. It means to be very precise in treating them the way that God... Executing, ex- executing judgment is, is the word here. Executing judgment is to do exactly what God expects to be done toward your neighbor. And who is your neighbor? Whomever you're having difficulty with. is how the Savior answered the lawyer in his day. There is no room, brethren, for us to hide our secret sins, our favorite sins, our habitual sins, our default sins, because we're to truly, thoroughly, thoroughly amend our ways. What are you doing that is weak in the sight of God? What are you doing that is wrong in the sight of God? It needs to be changed. Verse 6, If ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, Neither walk after other gods to your hurt. Here in verse 6, we're warned about oppression, murder, and idolatry. Oppression is the way that you you treat weak people in your life. The examples that are given here are strangers, fatherless, and widows. Widows don't have a husband to protect them. Fatherless don't have fathers to protect them. Strangers are away from their country and home, and they need help. And so three elements of of our neighbors, three types of neighbors we can run into, are shown to warn us about oppression, because the Lord hates oppression. If you oppress your children, and that doesn't mean abuse them necessarily, of course. Abusing your children would be oppression. But discouraging them, being too critical, not showing them enough praise or affection or attention. Or if you don't show that to your spouse, especially husbands, you're showing oppression to your wife who is stuck with you and who is the weaker vessel in the marriage. And it's easy for husbands to oppress their wives. I can take you to Malachi chapter 2 where God was so angry with Israel because the women, when they kept coming to him at his altar, were weeping tears because they were hiding treachery in their marriages. Don't worry, it's a sermon that's coming sometime. It's in the sermon's plan folder. Malachi chapter 2, they hid treachery in their marriages with the garment of marriage. You know, it's easy for us as husbands, once we've got our wives and once we get accustomed to them and used to them, to treat them less than, with less than the cherishing, nourishing, honoring that the Bible commands us to treat them with. And there we are guilty of oppression in our very own marriages because we can oppress that little woman who has been taught by the Word of God to submit and to obey us, and who is stuck with us, and who is subject to our choices, and if we don't show kindness to her, she isn't shown any. And so we have the Word of God accusing us of oppression even with our wives. The reason I go after the things that count in your life because I don't know how many fatherless widows and strangers you're going to run into today. But do you know what you are going to run into today? Your wives, your children and these other parts of your life. But it goes on to say in that sixth verse, not only does it condemn oppression, it then condemns innocent blood. And the Savior's taught us better. You just don't read that and say, I haven't committed murder, do you? That's too weak. We know the Word of God better than that. Jesus would take that commandment about shedding blood, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, and He would open it up. And He would say that if we're angry with our brother, without a cause... We are guilty of the sixth commandment and of innocent blood in this place. May God save us from being guilty of anger without a cause. In our church, in our families, in our marriages. And then it says, and then the Lord condemns idolatry in the last part of verse 6. Neither walk after other gods to your hurt. Again, let's let the Word of God. We we gloried in the fact the Word of God is so complete, and it is so deep, and it is so wise. Let's open it up again. Now now it's directing itself against us. We look at those words about not having other gods, and we go to Colossians chapter three and verse five, where we are told that covetousness, which is idolatry, which is idolatry. Covetousness, wanting something you don't have, is idolatry because you've got competitors to the Lord himself. Right. If the Lord has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, as we learned two weeks ago in our memory verses, Hebrews 13, 5, and Philippians four eleven, if the Lord has said that, it ought to be enough so that we can live contented lives because we have the Lord. Right. So that there should be no, no covetousness in our lives. So when we are coveting something, we're say, you know what we're saying? The Lord is not enough. The Lord is not enough of a God. That's idolatry. I need something else to fulfill my life and make me happy. So it turns out to be idolatry because we've allowed a competitor to the Lord. I like that song we sang before I came into the pulpit for you this morning. Fr- number 298 about do not I love thee, O Lord, and about casting down those idols in our hearts that steal our love of Him. And so we we can be guilty of everything that is in verse 6, though you have not actually had warm blood dripping on your hands, nor have you bowed to a Buddha in your backyard, nor have you violated the rights of some orphan. Yet we can be guilty of everything in verse 6 of Jeremiah chapter 7. What he is doing here is giving us a few examples, and I just tried to give you a few. Oppression, who are you oppressing in your life? Murder, who are you angry with without a cause? Who are you mistreating, giving the cold shoulder to without a cause, without a righteous cause? What covetousness is there in your life that's replaced God or is competing with God because you want something else? We should be content with him. If we truly amend our ways and our doings, if we thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if we do the things of verse 6, then we have the promise of verse 7 given, which is a restatement of the promise of verse 3. Then will I cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers, forever and ever. They could have the land of Judah, forever and ever. Look at it. All they had to do was amend their ways. Is God that serious about not amending our ways? That he would tear his own people out of the land that he had promised to give them through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Would he destroy his own temple where he was worshipped? Yes, he would, and he did. Let's come to verse 8. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Notice those are the same words as verse 4, and we're going to have them explained to us now. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Before I jump into the explanation, look back at verse 6, though. I just want to point out, because sometimes there's little things in the Word of God that are precious. It's the last three words of verse 6. To your hurt. I love that. Neither walk after other gods to your hurt. If we choose to walk after other gods, there is a being that we don't hurt. And that is the great God. He does not need us. I want you to notice those three little words. When you walk after other gods or you allow idolatry in your life, if you allow covetousness in your life, which is the example I wanted to give you, anything that competes with God is idolatry. If you allow it in your life, it's to your hurt, not to God's. Amen. Listen, he isn't wringing his hands in heaven. You haven't hurt him. What, what can you do to hurt the Most High God? It's no true harm done to his worship because he's going to be worshipped with or without you. But it is to your hurt. I preached you a message about playing with sin. Mm -hmm. We play with sin in our lives by letting it there, thinking that we can get away with it. And what's the verse I used? The way of transgressors is hard. Lot thought that he could play with a little sin. And remember how he ended up staring off into space in the mouth of that cave with his life completely ruined. You play with sin, that's where you end up. It does hurt. But it only hurts us. It does not hurt God. Behold, ye trust in lying words. The lying words are in verse 4. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Their confidence, because they had the temple of the Lord, God would deliver them and protect them and preserve them so that they could live any way they wanted. That's the lying words. Jeremiah chapter 7. And they're lying words that cannot profit. There is no profit in them. There is no value because you've got the temple of the Lord and because you make a big deal over it. There isn't residual value because we have the word of God and the big deal I made over it the last nine sermons. It's not enough for me and it's not enough for you. We have to open this and amend our ways and our doings so that they agree with it. We have to now let it turn its pages on us so that we will humble ourselves before the great God and amend our ways and our doings. Notice verse 9. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say... We are delivered to do all these abominations. Now the Jews did not go and worship by singing four verses of we are delivered to do these abominations. This is the Lord putting their actions into words. That because they had the temple, they could come and presume that God was going to deliver them. He has delivered us and He will yet deliver us Because we're His people, because we have His temple, and it doesn't matter how we live, we can steal, we can murder, we can commit adultery, we can swear falsely, we can burn incense to Baal and serve other gods, and we can come in here and be confident that the Lord's with us. They did not sing four stanzas of we are delivered to do all these abominations. That is what their conduct said. Brethren, We have the temple of the Lord. We have the temple of the Lord, and they came to the temple of the Lord. And they worshipped in the temple of the Lord. And they offered sacrifices in the temple of the Lord. Where are our lying words? I know that I'm going to a church that preaches the truth. I know I'm going to a church that believes the Bible is God's holy word. I know I'm going to a church that cuts through the fog of the modern theological morass of men's opinions. I'm glad I'm going to a church that holds the King James Bible. I'm glad I'm going to a church that teaches the sovereignty of God and salvation. There is no value in those things unless and until we let the Word of God speak to us, convict us, and so that we amend our ways. They trusted in the temple of the Lord. I fear that we will trust in the Word of the Lord and not amend our ways. Israel was had this fault often do you remember a time where the Lord had left the nation and they had to face the Philistines It's first Samuel chapter four and first Samuel chapter five the Lord had left them and they had to face the Philistines so what did they do did they repent so that God would Would return and bless them and go forth and be their mighty deliverer like he had in the past? Did they repent or did they pick up a little box four and a half feet long, one and a half feet wide, one and a half feet tall with some golden cherubim on top of it and carry it into battle? Do you remember? I'm not turning you to the passages. It's two chapters, 1 Samuel 4 and 5. They took the Ark of the Covenant and oh, they were excited about the Ark of the Covenant They took the Word of God. Was the Word of God in the Ark of the Covenant? Yes, Yes, it was. They took the Word of God. Were they excited about it? They were so excited that when they shouted, when the Ark came into the camp, the Philistines heard it and knew that something strange was up. And the Philistines went into battle fearful because the Israelites were worshiping with such a loud voice. But they lost that battle. And the Ark of the Covenant was taken from them. And the Word of God spent the day and the night before Dagon of the Philistines and that's another story you ought to go read it though they got up in the morning and found Dagon that great idol of the Philistines down on its face worshipping the God of Israel and they set him back up and the next morning the great idol was back down on its face worshipping the God of Israel with his arms broken off and then they had a few problems a few health hazards in the nation of the Philistines until they returned the Ark of the Covenant. The entire nation got hemorrhoids. And if you don't think God has a sense of humor and if you think I'm too crude, you haven't read your Bible enough. Right. He gave the whole nation a great case of hemorrhoids and sent mice running throughout that nation. That, that place was messed up. They were all walking around scratching and itching and they had mice everywhere. And the only way they could make, make peace with the God of Israel was to have their craftsmen Make five golden hemorrhoids. Five golden hemorrhoids and send them back to the God of Israel. That is in the Bible. If you don't believe me, go read 1 Samuel 4 and 5. That is the God that I worship. There is nothing to be ashamed about. And what I just told you, you should give glory to the God of heaven. You can come over to Psalm 78, and he says that he smote their enemies in their hinder parts. And when you read that little expression, you should know what it's talking about. It's talking about 1 Samuel 4 and 5. That's the God of Israel. Amen. Now, having had a little bit of fun worshiping the God of Israel, let's go back and remember the problem. They took the Ark of the Covenant into battle and they lost it. And they lost the battle. There is no residual effect, my brethren, because we have the Word of God. I, my goals, I stated this morning, I want this church to please God more than any other church in the world. And I want your families to please God, your marriages, your families, and I want your children blessed for, to have God's eye upon them. For them to be called the apple of his eye. I want to walk with God. I want to live the rest of my life following the Lord and seeking him like Enoch did. And the way we do it is there is no trust in our external religion. It is a religion of our heart. We are to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 And see whether you be in the faith. Know ye not that if you're not in the faith, you're reprobates. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 Right. Psalm 139, we've already memorized these verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And amend our ways and our doings so that they will line up with the Word of God. Let us not trust in the fact that we have the Bible. Verse 11 Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? The way they were treating it, they were acting like the, 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 the temple of God was a cave far off from the normal concourse of man where robbers would go and hide after committing robbery now that's about as low of a place as you can describe but the way they were treating the house of god was treating it like a den of robbers how are we treating the lord's house this morning it doesn't matter how loud you sing remember israel with the ark of the covenant it doesn't matter that you've got the right bible remember israel in the ark of the covenant it doesn't matter that you've got a pastor preaching the truth remember the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord are these what matters is have we amended our ways and our doings so that they line up with the word of God are husbands loving their wives the way that God dictates that they love their wives wives to husbands to children children to parents and on and on we go how do you serve your master on the job how do we serve our civil authority? How do we govern our thoughts? How do we govern our tongues? All of it is what count. This is biblical Christianity. Amen. This is biblical Christianity. What does the Bible say we ought to do to look more like the Lord Jesus Christ and to be true followers of his? It tells us not to trust in lying words, that there is any residual value in having the truth, the church, or the temple of God. Or the Word of God. These Israelites found their comfort and their safety in mere buildings when comfort and safety is in serving and trusting the Lord and obeying Him. Remember, they were read last Sunday night and they were read last Sunday morning Isaiah 57, 15, and 66, 1 and 2, where the verses say that here's the man that I will look unto, here's the man I will bless, the man that's poor has a contrite spirit and trembles before my word, not the man that takes glory in my temple. Trembling before his word means that you are threatened by all of its warnings, that you are in love with all of its statements and that you want to keep them, and that you're trembling lest you miss one because you want to fulfill every word of God. That's trembling before his word. Their presumptuous worship showed that they didn't consider the house of the Lord any more important than a den of robbers. They were just using it to to lead a careless life. Brethren, it's careless Christianity that's carnal Christianity. It's Christianity that allows us to come together on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, but in between, we live pretty much wide open for ourselves. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the... Power thereof. The power is amend your ways and your doings. The power is truly amend your ways and your doings. The power is execute judgment with your neighbor. That's the power, the demands of God's Word, the authority that the Word of God has to dictate our lives. This is what we must do if we're to please the Lord. We cannot just sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, and thump our Bibles. We must let these Bibles point out to us what we're doing wrong and amend our ways. Behold, the last half of verse 11. Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. See, it didn't matter that they came, the right place, came at the right time, and came to do the right thing, worship the Lord. I have seen it. I see everything. I see your disregard for me in your stealing you're murdering, you're committing adultery, you're swearing falsely, and you're offering of incense to Baal. I see that, and I see you coming in here. I see your lying words. I see your false confidence. I see where you're putting your trust, that you can get away with living like that because I've put my temple there. I'll take my temple away. And he did. Look what he said in verse 12. This is what he tells them to do. Go get an object lesson. I already took you to Shiloh once in the sense of taking you to 1 Samuel 4 and 5 to look at the Ark of the Covenant, how it didn't do Israel any good when they took it into battle. But verse 12, but go ye now unto my place which was. Aren't those words horrible? But go ye now unto my place which was in Shiloh. Shiloh was another place where God was worshipped and where Israel worshipped God. Go. He doesn't mean for them to travel although that would have been a great object lesson. He just meant for them to go in their thoughts, go back, go back in the history of how I've dealt with your nation and consider Shiloh, where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. What did he do for it? to it? He tore it apart by the Assyrians because Israel had turned their back on God. Verse 13, And now because ye have done all these works saith the Lord, the ones he's listed, the sins that he's listed. And I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not, and I called you, but ye answered not. The Lord did his part. The Lord sent prophets. And notice what kind of prophets he sent. They were prophets that get up early. They're prophets that do their job. Israel was sent prophet after prophet that rose up early. A man that gets up early is a diligent and a faithful man. And so it's used as a a description of faithful prophets that God sent to Israel. I sent them speaking to you. I warned you. But because you have not listened to them, I have called you, but you did not hear me. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh. You did not learn from the lesson against Israel, the same thing is now coming on Judah. Brethren, do we know about great empires in the world that have crumbled, that were once great, and for any external observer you would say it's impossible for that that empire is going to sit queen forever? Babylon? The Medes and the Persians? The Persian Empire? Xerxes? Ahasuerus? Alexander the Great? What could happen to Alexander the Great? The Roman Empire? God's able to raise up kings, and he's able to put down kings. He's able to raise up nations, and he has, and he puts down nations, and he has. This nation deserves to be put down unless it amends its ways and its doings. How about churches? Have we seen churches come and go in your lifetime? God can do that to this church. We should go in our minds and think about some of the churches that have come and gone and amend our ways. Because if we don't amend our ways, he can do to us as he has done to others our families if we do not amend our ways i mean ransack your life if it's the television then stop the television if it's your speech then make some commitments and some promises and get some helpers in your family to help you watch your speech whatever it is amend your ways and your doings or god can blow against your family and bring you into great heartache if you do not amend your ways and your doings, I know I've said that about 104 times now, but I want you to leave with that. Right. And what about your own soul? What about your own soul? Do not go blame the Lord that he has withdrawn from you if you have not amended all your ways and your doings so that they match up with his word, because he will withdraw. When we do not amend our ways and our doings he says that he'll do to judah just as he did to shiloh and so he wants us to look at the object lessons of his word and of the history of his dealings with his people and verse 15 and i will cast you out of my sight as i have cast out all your brethren even the whole seed of ephraim and that is a name for the 10 tribes of israel because ephraim was the greatest of the tribes And it was the one that that Jeroboam was from that was the first king over the divided nation of Israel. God says, I will cast you out of my sight. I want our church. I want your families. I want you. And I want me to be walking in his sight for him to be looking upon us with favor and to have his countenance shining upon us. That is my desire. But notice what he says. I will cast you out of my sight. I don't want to see you again. As I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim, And notice what he tells the prophet in verse 16. Therefore, pray not thou for this people. Neither lift up cry nor prayer for them. Neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. God swears in his wrath against individuals and against nations. Israel once did not take the land of Canaan when it was laid before them. When ten spies said the giants were there that were too great, they didn't take it, and God swore in his wrath, You'll never see my rest. They repented, they put their swords on, and they went up to take the land. And they were defeated soundly. Moses would not go with them. And they spent the next 40 years all dying in the wilderness. God swore here also. And Nebuchadnezzar did come and take them captive, and Jerusalem and his temple was destroyed. God swore again in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3 and 4 describe it. Because Psalm 95 spoke of God swearing in his wrath again, and it was fulfilled in Hebrews 3 and 4, when the Jewish nation as a whole rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God that was sent, their Messiah, their promised Messiah that had a time frame so that they knew exactly when he should arrive right to the year. And so he swore against them and destroyed them under the Roman armies in 70 A.D. God will swear against us. I think of Proverbs 29 and verse 1. He, not they, he, please follow me. Proverbs 29:1: he, that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Amen. That is the word of God. If we believe that this whole Bible was written by God, then every verse like that one ought to put fear into our souls so that we will amend our ways and our doings before him, and he will dwell with us and establish us in this place. In Revelation chapter 3, we're told that he gave a space of time. Revelation chapter 2, he gave a space of time to that evil prophetess Jezebel in the church of Thyatira there for her to repent, a space to repent, and she did not And so she was going to be cast into a bed with her children and destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless us to consider our ways and to amend them and not to trust in lying words. Everything we do shows an assumption. It shows trust or faith. I can get away with this or the trust in faith. There is only one way to live, and that's to live soul out with amended ways and doings before the Lord. We're always showing it, and the Lord sees it all. He said there in verse 11, Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. He can witness and see if we're trusting falsely that we can get away with sin in our life. We cannot. For us to be the holy people of God that we desire to be and that I desire for us to be, we must amend our ways and our doings constantly that we please him perfectly according to his written word let's not glory in the fact that we've had it let's glory in the fact that we know it and we're obeying it Amen. and beg him to direct our steps into it right. may Jesus Christ be praised Amen.